It's Mom Zone. Breaking news, the Fremont family declares where they're going for back to school. The Fremonts are going with Academy. Uh, Mrs. Fremont, why Academy over another store? When my kids say they'll never use math in the real world, I just show them how low my Academy receipt is. You have any other thoughts? Look, back to school is a numbers game, and numbers don't lie. Nobody starts your season with better brands and lower prices than Academy. Academy Sports and Outdoors. For all, for less. Price match guarantee details at academy.com. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio Show. My guest for this morning is Paul Seely. He is a psychic, medium, and an award-winning author of channeled texts from Thatcher Penguin. Paul's extraordinary abilities has been featured on ABC News Nightline, Fox News, the Biography Channel series, The Unexplained, Gaim TV's Beyond Belief, and the documentary film, Paul and the Wood. He is also a former NYU faculty member and Goddard College trustee as well. Paul and I will be discussing his recently released book, The Book of Truth, which is the second book of the Mastery Trilogy. Good morning, Paul. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing this morning? I'm okay. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. It is a pleasure to have you on the air with me. The Book of Truth is a very interesting and insightful read. Thank you for sharing the wonderful messages from your guides with everyone. You're welcome. Wonderful. Let us start by getting to know you a little bit better, because I know you were not necessarily born with this special gift. It happened somewhat later in life. So let us get to know you a little bit better. Kind of give us a story about your life from childhood to present moment, please. My my story from childhood to birth is it's a little longer, but than that, but you know, I was raised an atheist. <laughs> actually, and, we have, um, actually, we have the whole hour, but go ahead, sir. Oh, my my, you know, I was raised an atheist. I wasn't raised to believe in this stuff. I had an experience in 1987 when I was 25 years old, where I started to open up a bit psychically and spiritually, and studied a form of energy healing and found that when I had my hands on people, I began to access information for them, or as I say, hear for them. It was the beginning of clairaudience, um, which is the primary ability that I work with as a channel. And I began to open up as a physical empath as well, and that was followed by other forms of clairsentience, which is clear feeling, which is another skill that I work with when I when I work with clients or groups and to an extent when I channel. Um, I was on the faculty of NYU for 25 years. I wasn't being public with this work. In 2009, the guides that I work with started to dictate a series of books. Um, there are five in print now. Um, there's another one that's just begun. Um, all of these books are the unedited transcripts of channeling sessions, so there's really no writing involved. So even though it says I'm the author of the book, I'm really the channel for the book, and it's a verbal dictation that's then transcribed, and the transcriptions are what's published. And I've left academia a couple of years ago to devote myself to this work full-time, so now I travel around the world, and I, 
I let my guides teach, and the guides teach in a way that's, you know, hopefully very helpful to people, but also comes with an energy, a spiritual energy that can often be experienced. So there's a lot of phenomena that seems to accompany this work, um, which is one of the reasons I continue to do it, because I don't quite understand it, and I'm, I'm still very interested in how this whole thing occurs. So that's a short introduction, if that's helpful. Fantastic. That's really, really wonderful. Prior to the 1987 incident that led mm-hmm. you to become clairaudience and clairvoyant, when did you first experience a spiritual shift in yourself? Well, a spiritual I didn't know what spirituality was. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't grow up with any of this stuff, so it wasn't part of the vocabulary that I worked with. Um, I had a few experiences as a, chi- as a child. Um, that were psychic. I had an out-of-body experience that was very important to me when I was very young, and precognitive dreams. Um, I was just a very sensitive kid, and my sensitivity wasn't necessarily something I was terribly happy with or proud of, but it's who I was. Um, But I didn't equate this stuff much with paranormal or spiritual, and certainly not religious, because we weren't religious, I began to open up spiritually when I was 25, a few months before that experience that I mentioned and you mentioned. Mm -hmm. And that was really out of necessity. I I hit a wall in my life. I was in trouble, and I knew it, and I began to pray. Uh, Really, for the first time, I didn't know what else to do. And I don't even know if I knew what the trouble was that I was in. I just knew that everything that I thought that would make me okay in the world that I had already achieved hadn't done anything along those lines. I mean, I was fresh out of Yale University with a master's degree. I was a playwright. I was being produced internationally and, you know, getting my picture in the magazines. And I was a basket case. So it was at that place in my life that I began to seek something more. Again, out of sheer necessity, not because I thought it would be nice to get spiritual. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't, you know, think anything was going to happen necessarily. What what did end up happening was I heard a voice telling me to get my act together, and I listened to it. And that was about three days later after the prayer began. And for whatever reason in my history, there's usually something, three days, it's always three days. (laughs) You put something out there three days later, kaboom. So I've gotten a little bit used to that, but in those days that was a new occurrence and one that was sincerely life-changing for me because Mm -hmm. my life did take a different path than I think it would have otherwise. Are there anyone in the family tree that is gifted as well? Not that I know of. My mother, who's still with us and she's in her 80s, told me a couple of years ago that before she goes to sleep at night, she sees Mm -hmm. all these faces around her, people she doesn't know, and does that mean anything? And she's always done it. And I gasped because that feels psychic to me, Um, but it's not my experience. That doesn't happen to me. So if it is in the tree, and and it could well be, it's not something that was ever discussed or understood or touted, you know, in our family. We Mm -hmm. have psychics. I Mm -hmm. have friends that are, you know, come from that and, you know, that's in there. And it seems just to be there in the genes. So I don't know. How skeptical were you in the beginning when you start to understand you have this gift? Or how about this, that somehow you were chosen? 
to channel? Well, I don't like to think of chosen, you know, and no? I didn't okay. begin channeling, you know. Mm-hmm. I didn't begin channeling. I began working as an energy healer, and I was volunteering at a place um, that had been set up to provide services uh, for people with life-challenging illness. This was the early 90s. It was the height of the AIDS epidemic in New York City, and it was something that I could do. And when I had my hands on people, I started to hear things for them, and they were telling me what it meant. So if I had my hand on your back and I heard the name Jerome, and I go, does Jerome mean anything for you? And you say, yeah, that was my father, and, you know, he you know, I don't know, whatever, and then something about mm-hmm, the back, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, he broke my shoulder, you know, when I was, wouldn't it, it was like that. And I go, oh, okay. And then the energy would release around Jerome or whatever the memory was. But this mm-hmm. kept getting confirmed. And so as it kept getting confirmed, I began to trust it all. So my ability to hear clairaudiently was always in service to something or someone else. It wasn't like I was walking down the street and I started to get directions. Um, Mm -hmm. I wish it had been that way, but I don't know that I would have trusted it. So my trust was built through verification. And when I started to do a group in my apartment, which I did for about 18 years on and off of sitting in the energy and was taking, you know, taking instructions from whatever it is that I was hearing, Um, there would be an energy that would accompany it. So the energy for me was the proof, and we were all feeling it. So because we were all feeling it, uh, and the guides would say, for example, everybody receive a hand on your forehead, and we'd all feel as if there was a hand pressing into the forehead and opening up the third eye. And, you know, we were all having the experience. So I was astonished by that. But it's what kept me going. In fact... For many, many years, I wasn't interested in the information that was coming through me at all. I was interested in the energy, and I had to tolerate the information. And my my problem with the information was that it was that it was coming through me. And who the hell am I to do this? You know, I'm just this guy. I'm not a guru. I'm not a spiritual teacher. I really don't want to be any of those things. Still, I really don't. And um, you know, so the so the information was questionable, and I was skeptical about that. Um, And now, less so, because it comes so quickly and so fluidly, and it's not usually what I want to talk about or hear about. So, you know, and I don't care. I've really come to this place of thinking, you know what, I don't care how articulate I may be. I don't Mm -hmm. think I'm capable of channeling or dictating five books aloud that require no editing start to finish. I just don't know how it's possible. And it just keeps happening. I did a workshop Mm -hmm. in Boston this last weekend, and the guides delivered five lectures for the new book in front of a room full of people. And then they they, they speak, and they say, and this is in the book. And they go, okay, here we go. And that's how it happens. So there's, you know, it's it's a bit of a roller coaster ride. But I didn't think, I, I questioned a lot of things along the way. I still do because I think I have to be responsible to myself in some ways. And that's one way is to keep questioning the teaching when I'm confounded by it or frustrated by it or it doesn't quite make sense to me. Um, that's for me trying to remain in my integrity around this work as a channel. I mean, I'm of the belief that just because somebody hears something doesn't mean that it's true, do you know? 
my grandma, bless her, you know, was married five times, and I don't want to take relationship advice from her from the other side. I don't think she did a very good job with the one she had. So, you know, just because she's talking doesn't mean I have to do what she says. And so I actually do support inquiry around this work. And I, I think, you know, I don't, nobody, want, nobody has to buy into it if they don't want to. It's not my, I don't care if they do. I'm really there to take the dictation, and that's how I see my role. Very, very interesting. You seem to have come forward in terms of just embracing the fact that you are the pathway from left to right or whatever you want to call it mm. from that perspective, which is very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. And perhaps that little skepticism in you make it more authentic in so many ways. People have said that that because I question the teachings as they occur, and those questions wind up in the text, they wind up in the books, and when I'm doing a workshop and I hear something, I, you know, I've been known to question it. Um, I, people have said that it's helpful for them because the questions that I'm asking are often their own questions and they get answered. Um, I feel that the less I interrupt the better I am. You know, there was a moment, Mm -hmm. because I just Mm -hmm. saw the transcript from it in Boston, where the guide said, call something a travesty. Like, you know, mankind's, I don't remember what the quote was, but blankety Mm -hmm. blank blank is a travesty. And I panicked because travesty is not a word I've heard them use before. And I interrupted. I said, travesty or tragedy. And they said, travesty, but it may be a tragedy if you keep interrupting. You know, (laughs) so it's just sort of a direct... Yeah. Thing, and I think you know the preference is that I stay out of the way. Sometimes, what my guides have, well, what they're doing often now, which I appreciate, is they seem to be anticipating my questions before I can even form the thought, and mm-hmm. answering them as part of their dictation. So they might say, "Paul is asking," but I hadn't begun asking yet. I was about to. Mm-hmm. And what I'm, you know, when I'm channeling, I'm repeating and repeating and repeating and repeating everything that I'm hearing, and there's just enough room there for me to say, but what about, you know, and have my own thought when yeah. I'm not so busy just, you know, being the the, the transcription, the, the the verbal transcriptionist or radio, whatever you want to call me. Very interesting. What is the difference between channeling and being a psychic? Oh, I know what I feel about this, and anybody's welcome to disagree, but when I'm channeling, my job is to render the information that is coming through me directly and clearly without editorializing and without interpreting. So when I'm reading psychically, if somebody comes to me and I work with them, I may be accessing their feelings, I may be accessing what's going on in their body, but I get to interpret what some of that is. The guides may come in and talk about it, but if I step into somebody, and that's what I do when I read for somebody, I literally step into their field, and all of a sudden I start you know, looking around me angrily and waving a fist in the air, which is something that I might do, that feels to me, I would say, so you're really angry, you don't know where to put the anger, you know, mm-hmm. and they'll go, yeah. You see what I mean? But I'm interpreting what that fist means. So there's no, for me, there's no interpretation um, in channeling at all. Um, I can be, it's a conversation perhaps, I can interrupt. But my job is to 
is to is to take the dictation. I, and I, I make a distinction between inspired speech and inspired teaching mm-hmm. and channeling because I think that's really quite wonderful. And I've heard, you know, people speak with enormous inspiration and they're clearly, you know, fulfilled with spirit, uh, you know, but they're also doing it as themselves. And I'm not. You know, I actually, when I'm channeling the guides, there's often an accent that comes forth and the syntax and sentence structure is different than I would normally use myself in conversation. And I appreciate that because it reminds me of the difference between us. I'm glad you brought that up because the first time when I picked your book up, as I went through it, and it's like, oh my gosh, this is kind of a little bit difficult to read. And having said that, it is not difficult to read because once you kind of get in the zone and go mm-hmm. through, like you say, it's a channel book. It's not something that, well, it all began one nice cloudy day, that kind of thing. It's not mm-hmm. that kind of a book. It's yep. beautifully done. And I'm so glad that it included questions that you have. Mm-hmm. And it's done over a period of time with the aid of your associates and so forth. But that, to me, gave it the authenticity that it needs. Yeah, yeah. They have their own way of of speaking. I, you know, I'm I'm focused right now on the new book because it's just mm-hmm. begun. The dictation just began again last last weekend. It's been two weekends now that they've worked and in public. You know, all of these things are happening in front of an audience now, and I'm going, oh, my God, you know, there's a videotape record. This is all happening, and my rule with the books is nothing really – you really can't change anything. Mm -hmm. You know, these aren't edited. They're not prettied up. They're not fixed. So if there's something that's sort of confusing, I'm mostly stuck with it unless – I was mishearing or I was speaking so fast that I dropped a word, you know, which happens Mm -hmm. sometimes. I'll just step over it because I'm trying to get everything out so quickly. But we usually pick that up on one of the recordings because I whisper things before I repeat them. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so Mm -hmm. I'm having this whole other experience with how they work. Um, And I've begun to appreciate how they work because it's, it's got its own logic and the books feel like books, even though right. you know they're they're literally talks that are in order that the guides are bringing forth as a book, and very intentionally so. I love the idea of the fact this is basically a transcript. Like I say again, this is not about yeah. reading a novel or history, for that matter. This is strictly a transcript that you're reading based on actual words that were channeled through you as a conduit. To a piece of paper. Yeah. Well, chat onto a recording, and then, mm-hmm. thank goodness, there's a transcriptionist who's then putting <laughs> it on paper. Other than that, it would just live as an audio recording forever. Sure. Which I don't sure. think is what the guides intend. Uh-huh. Right. Can you choose which guides to work with, or do you work with the same guides all the time? I I seem to be working with a collective that is and so there are energies that i'm familiar with and sentence structures and the guides that i work with are bringing forth a very focused teaching i mean this is five books in order all bringing us to a place of hopefully realization which is what they say so i'm not I'm not that promiscuous with my guides, you know. I'm basically working with those that I'm working with. If somebody comes for a reading, I may access whatever is working with them 
but possibly it would come through my guides, you know, who are who are supporting me in my work. So I'm I'm it's not that I'm cautious, I'm not, it's that I'm discerning about what I work with and um so I'm what I'm never what I'm never doing is sitting in my chair opening up psychically and said okay and saying, Okay, who feels like coming through and talking? Mm-hmm. You know, that's not that doesn't feel that feels like being in a bar and going home with anybody who asks. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. just because mm-hmm. somebody somebody's in the ethers doesn't necessarily mean that they're that's who I need to be bringing through information from. And I've been working with this team, it seems, for according to them, lifetimes. I don't know if that's so, but I assume it is because they keep saying that, that, you know, this is the work we're all doing together and I don't really need to go elsewhere right now. I think there may be, I, you know, and I think that there may be personal guides for me that I could work with in addition to them, you know, on specific issues. When I'm, I'm not a medical intuitive, but occasionally somebody will come for a reading, and I will give information that I don't know how I could possibly know, and I didn't know my guides knew, but I assume they send somebody off to find out and bring it back. You know, because it's not part of my my world, and um, mm-hmm. so it's not information that they can throw at me. And I'll give you an example. If I have, uh, if, you know, if they wanted to show me, and this isn't a, this has never happened, but a picture of Lucille Ball, I might, you know, that might mean woman with red hair, somebody named Lucy. You know, and if they want mm-hmm. to get across the name Lucy, they'll, that might be a way that they do it. If they want to say, you know, somebody's name that they want to get through is Mei Ling Su, I'm probably not going to get that. So they're going to have to come and give it to me very, very specifically in such a way that, you know, the client can, can work with the information. And that, I think, is a process that probably doesn't have a lot to do with my guides. My guides, I don't think, when people come to me and say, you know, what do I do? What should I do for a living? I don't know that my guides care. I don't know if they care if I ever get another date as long as I live. I think that they're really here for this work and our realization and many of the details are up to us. You know, we mm-hmm. still get to choose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very, very interesting. By the way, you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on Apple iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, and TuneIn Radio. I'm Johnny Tan, your host, and my guest for this morning is Paul Silly. He is a psychic, medium, and an award-winning author of Channel Text from Thatcher Penguin. Paul and I are discussing his recently released book, the Book of Truth, which is the second book of the Mastery Trilogy series. For those of you who are waiting to talk to Paul, the questions that we recommend are strictly what does Paul do, as well as questions about his book. Paul will not be doing a reading on this particular show. Paul, the Book of Truth is your fifth channel book and is the second in the trilogy series. How does this book fit into the series? Well, I, you know, any of the books can be read independently from any of the others because the guides are pretty good at teaching, and it seems that they sort of create a one-room schoolhouse, or that's how they describe it, where everybody can be met wherever they enter the teaching. Um, and that seems to be a positive thing and productive. The Mastery Trilogy 
began with a book called um, The Book of Mastery, which came out about a year ago, year and a half ago. And there's a claim that the guides made in the third book, and they call it a claim of truth, and it's an attunement energetically. And the, the, the claim is, I know who I am, I know what I am, I know how I serve. Now, the claim, I know who I am, they say is claimed by the true self or the divine self or the eternal self, whatever you want to call it. And it's always true at that level. The true self always knows who he or she is. And so the Book of Mastery was in some ways the unpacking of the teaching, I know who I am. The Book of Truth seems to be the unpacking of the claim, I know what I am. Because what they're speaking of now is the divine in manifestation, in form, um, the bodies we hold, how we create a world through our consciousness um, in agreement to what we think should be there based upon the history we've been taught, or how we can make a new world through our awareness of the divine that they say is present in all matter. So it's a trippy teaching, and it's a very focused one and they speak of truth in the book of truth as a vibration or energy that's here now and is present and is really reclaiming everything so the gods are saying that everything that's not in truth is going to be sort of moved back to this wave of truth in order to be me in order to be remade or renown or recreated in some way that we cannot continue perpetuating lies and i hear this is at the for this is at the level of religion and government and mm-hmm. business and culture and everything so this is big big change is what they're speaking about and you know we have choices about how we want to learn these lessons and the next book seems to be the teaching of i know how i serve which is the teaching of expression and how they're saying basically a world can be made new by those of us who become aware of who and what we truly are. Because they say when you know who you truly are, you know who everybody else is as well. They say again and again, you can't be the light and hold another in darkness. You just can't do it. It's a lie. It's hypocrisy. It doesn't work. Wonderful. What is the difference between divine self and small self? Because that's what your guides use to discern us into two different categories well what i've been told is that the true self is the eternal self the aspect of a divine that is always present as us and is seeking its realization as and through us so the true self is the part of you that knows who he is that is never afraid that doesn't exist at the level of fear um really you know that doesn't have a name The name that you were born with is a temporary name, or you were given as a temporary name. The occupation you're in is a way to know yourself, but it's not who you are. The personality self is the small self, and they said that the personality self is primarily um, a whole bunch of data and history and agreements that we make on this plane, you know. So it's, you know, where we're born and how we're born and what we're born into and what the beliefs of the time are and the values and all of those things. And it's essentially, I'm not going to call it a mask because I think we all have it and need it, but it's not who we really are. We've just misidentified ourselves as the personality when in fact who we are is is much more vast. And much of the teaching that they bring through is about aligning to and expressing as and realizing what they call the true self. 
Very, very interesting. The book also talks about pursuing transforming oneself. How do we repattern ourselves? Well, what the guides say is that the attunements that they work with mm-hmm. are encoded in the field. So when you speak the words they, they claim you in as a vibrational attunement, it's actually kind of the equivalent of allowing the radio that you are or reprogramming the radio that you are to play the higher stations that have always been playing but you haven't known how to get to. So the repatterning, is a, I would suggest, is done at that level. Um, they don't use the term repatterning a lot in their books. I'm, I'm, it's very quite possible that it's in there. I just don't recall it. Because mm-hmm. repatterning is, has become one of those terms that is used a fair amount, I think, in, you know, in, in the New Age. And mm-hmm. I, I think the guides probably have their own version of it. But for the most part, they don't really, like they never talk about receiving downloads. You know, you hear people say, how to download of information. I mean, that's language that's very rooted in, in this decade where we're downloading everything. And the guys, mm-hmm. their language is, is not based in that. It's really a little bit more. They speak about, you know, octaves of music instead of dimensions. Mm-hmm. You know, they speak, mm-hmm. they speak in those terms. But the idea of repatterning, I think, is... is how can I say it? It would be the reclaiming of who we truly are at the cost of the old. And that is a form of repatterning, I would think, you know, because the guides say you really can't claim the new when you're still attached to what you think you are. And we're so busy trying to prove that what we think we are is right and necessary and all important that we miss the opportunity for perhaps grace or an awareness of what more can be that's, they say, ever-present. Right. The book actually used the word repatterning and also used the word, basically, what's created can be recreated. Yes. And exactly what you're talking about. As we let go of the past, we can recreate. We're not stuck with who we are right now. Exactly. Yeah, recreation's a big theme, and they say everything that's been rec- everything that's been created can be recreated in the higher way. You know, everything is energy, and we we claim things into form by agreeing with the form that things have taken. Like I know that the thing that I'm looking at right now is a sofa because I know what a sofa looks like, and this is something people would call a sofa. Somebody else could call it a lot of cloth wrapped, you know, wrapping feathers mm-hmm. on, on, on a few sticks. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, and whatever this sofa is can be turned into a bed. It can be turned into a cushion to watch a ball game. It can be the fabric can be ripped off, and I could make curtains of it if I wanted. You see what I mean? So sure. what we claim as so permanent is, is simply a way of knowing something. And I think when they're talking about transformation, they're not talking about, you know, using the the upholstery of a sofa to make curtains. They're basically saying that everything can be re-known in another way, but we're so busy reclaiming what we've had. They talk about it like they say, you know, we're always dining out on yesterday's leftovers because that's what we expect to get. And if you don't expect (laughs) to get something new, you're probably not going to. Right. Right, so true. Let's take a question from one of our listeners. I believe we have Wendy on the line. So, Wendy, do you have a question for Paul? 
Certainly. Thank you very much. Hello, Paul. Hello. Um, Paul, I was reading your biography. You sound absolutely uh-huh. fascinating. And it's a privilege to meet you over the radio airwaves today. And um, when when there has been a tragedy and uh, one feels grief-stricken, when you have mm-hmm. a client that approaches you in that aspect, do you sometimes feel that your client has the healing at least to the point where they're more at peace and they're able to complete their lifetime, perhaps not in true happiness, but in a more comfortable state? Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't call myself a spiritual medium, so what I'm not doing in my work um, although, I mean, it happens, but it's not how I bill myself or not what I promise. I'm not usually bringing in people who have crossed um, for messages. I'm, they call me a medium for the living. So if you're grieving your, if you're grieving something, I can work with you, but I may not give you the contact with the person you've lost. I, I'll probably, I, they call me a medium for, for the living, and that if you've lost somebody, I'll feel them as they were and hear them as they were when they were embodied. If they want to come through from where they are, they can. But I don't think that my work is about making people more comfortable, you know, and I don't think that the work is necessarily about. Um, you know, softening reality. Now, I think things happen in a life that are very challenging, but I also think that everything that happens in a life has to be perceived as an opportunity to grow and learn. And I do think that understanding that we are eternal beings, you know, and who we are as existing in, in ways we perhaps can't even imagine is a comfort and there is solace to be found. Um, but what I will often do, because I have friends that I think are very gifted spiritual mediums, was I'll say, oh, you should talk to my friend so-and-so. You know, I've Very often what I see when I deal with this kind of thing is someone who can't forgive themselves or predicated their sense of well-being on the presence of someone else in their life. And while I've had tremendous losses in my own life, and I still grieve some of them, um, my ability to grow and be and learn can't be dependent on anyone else's presence to ensure that that happens. So I don't know that I'm answering your question. Um, I appreciate the question. Um, I think that we have choice. There's a book that I recommend to people who are grieving, um, which is after it's called Answers About the Afterlife by my friend Bob Olson, um, who you know did a lot of research and interviewed all of the best mediums around, and really came up with a cohesive text around all of the questions we have about where we go. Um, my guides will speak to that somewhat, but what I can mostly help people with is what's going to get them out of the grief. Because I'll hear that from the from the client, you know, at a higher level. I'll tune into the client, and they'll, you know, and I'll hear, you know, I need to get back to painting, or you know, it can be as simple as, you know, I need to give myself permission to move on. 
you know, I'm I'm reducing these because the answers would be very specific to the individual, but that's where I can be helpful to someone. Thank you, Paul. Wendy, did Paul answer your question? Um, yes. I um, I find the conversation very profound and thought-provoking, and um, I had to get myself to a place where I was able to get through the rest of my life in mm-hmm. a more comfortable um, setting, so to speak, mm-hmm. and... I do feel like I have strength that I wasn't aware of, and I love to help people. And um, I'm fascinated by your guest. I think he's very interesting, and uh, he has a gift to share. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time and your question. You're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, and TuneIn Radio. My guest is Paul Silly. He is a psychic medium and an award-winning author of Channel Texts from Tatcha Penguin. Paul and I are discussing his recently released Book of Truth, which is the second book of the Mastery Trilogy series. And I'm your host, Johnny Tan. Paul, coming back to your book, the interesting thing that I read is that how do greed is an aspect of fear? How is greed an aspect of fear? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, greed basically, I, su- I suspect, is um, created out of a belief in scarcity, mm-hmm. you know, that there's never going to be enough. So if I don't think there's ever going to be enough or I'm never going to have enough, or if you have something, that means I'm getting less, I'm going to start grabbing for everything that I can find. And, you know, that is an act of fear. You know, I mean, I, I think there's nothing wrong. I think it's it's prudent that if you're living someplace where you need firewood to get through the winter, that you chop the wood and stack the wood. But I think the idea that you have to, you know, tear the whole forest down and make sure your neighbors don't get any wood because that's the wood you might need someday is greed and is fear-based. And, you know, it comes back finally to this big idea, which is an all-new thought, and it's in all religions, I suspect, too, although I don't know of all the religions, but the idea that the universe or God or spirit or whatever you want to call it finally is the source of everything. So if I think that my job is the source of my security, or if I think my partner is the source of my love, or if I think that the grocery store down the block is the source of my food, I'm going to be screwed one day. You know, the grocery store mm-hmm. may close and the partner may leave and on and on and on and on. So, you know, the idea, and I, I was fortunate to be taught this at a time in my life, in my in my late, in my really mid-20s when I was out of school and I was so poor it was terrifying i mean to be living in new york city with 45 cents to your name is not a fun place to be but i did have that period of my life and i did get to learn these lessons um in in ways that were were palpable and real for me and that's not my experience anymore do you know but it Mm -hmm. does it, it really does come back down to that what is the source of our good and if i think that there's limited supply um because the source isn't going to take care of me, I'm going to set myself up. 
Very, very interesting. Your guide put a great emphasis on not acting on fear. Yeah, yeah it's a you huge teaching. That, it's one, sure. One of the simplest things that they say, which is one of the things that I'm, I'm able to work with effectively in my own life, and I hope others can as well, they say the action of fear is to create more fear or to claim more fear. The action of fear is to create more fear. So if you look at every choice you ever made because you were afraid, see what it gets you or see what it got you, you know. And more than likely, you're going to find out that you got more of the same. So the very simple idea of not making choices in fear so that we don't perpetuate the fear is actually a a very simple and very effective teaching. Um, the true self, they say, the divine self, doesn't operate in fear because it doesn't exist at that level of vibration. You know, love and fear, has been, has been said by many, just cannot coexist. Or God, if you want to say God and fear, don't coexist either. You know, I mean, I suppose if God is all things, I guess you could have to say God is fear too, and I'd have to go to the guides about that and find out how they'd like to explain that. But they do simply talk about things being in lower frequency and higher frequency. And if I want to be operating in the higher vibration or higher frequency, I can't keep going down and drinking from that low well of fear, because all fear is going to do is try to keep me afraid. So true. How do we connect with our divine self in order to experience the sort of enlightenment to help us move forward? Well, I think that's the focus of all of the books. Um, you know, I today, today, depending on what day you catch me, I wonder and I look at, you know, what do I need to do to reconnect and what, what does that even look like some days? But I think the key, quite simply, may be to ask. I asked. You know, I just said help, you know, and I've been known to say help many times. I don't know that we have to be driven to our knees to uh, to receive help at all. I think the awareness that who we are may be far greater than what we've been taught or would think that we are is a very simple doorway to begin to walk through and to become teachable and available to the possibility You know, the guys that I work with say nothing can be claimed until it's first claimed as a possibility. It's really that simple. And, you know, if I don't believe it's even possible, why would I bother to claim it? If I don't believe that I can have a relationship with this part of myself, you can call it God, the indwelling Christ, the divine self, the monad, the Shekinah, I don't really care. I don't think it matters, you know. Whatever Mm -hmm. that thing is, and if you want to call it Herman, that's fine, you know. Whatever that thing is, in a truthful way, you have to at least suspect that it can be so in order for it to be made so. Other than that, we're back to our small selves saying, there is no God, there is no point, I've got to do it all myself, nobody's going to do it for me or with me. Mm-hmm. And the world, the world is a scary place. And, you know, I live there often enough to know that that's an option. And, you know, we have choices. I can choose to live my whole life that way if I want to. And I'll learn some stuff from that. There's nothing wasted. We're here to learn. But I also hopefully can learn in the higher way and learn in joy, you know, and have the depth of transformation that I do believe is available to us all. One of the things that came to mind, Paul, the word is letting go. And this is interesting. I just want to share this with you and all the listeners. Believe it or not, you were teaching for a very long time there. You were faculty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 
as a teacher, you teach and you got to let go whether the students want to absorb it or not absorb it. It's your choice. And if they want to, they'll come back and ask you questions to elaborate mm-hmm. more and so forth. Now, flip it the other way around. There's praying and there's praying. And if you pray and you let go and just be vulnerable, I guess, for the lack of a better term in this situation, then you are exposing yourself to let faith to kick in, basically. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that you talk about in the book, or in this case your guide talks about, and it's very interesting, is how can I use my body as a compass of truth? And how can I differentiate between truth and comfort? Because that's important. A lot of times it's how we feel. And you talk about the book of truth, you're talking about how one feels about the environment. And you are an empath. So you feel. So perhaps yeah. you can share some light on that. Well, I don't, I, don't rec- I don't recall what part of the book you're referencing. Sure. I can try to speak to this in a general way. Sure. Um, yeah, you know, the guides have said many times the small self thinks and the true self knows. Mm-hmm. So a very simple way to begin to understand this is to go back to, go through, go, go to a time in your life, any time, where you knew something. I knew the relationship was over. I knew I got the promotion. I knew this person wasn't going to live very long. Any time there was a real knowing. And be quiet and remember what that felt like in your body. Then go to something that you think. I think I know what I'm having for dinner tonight. I think I know what my best friend is doing. I think I know how long I'm going to live, whatever it may be. And then see what that feels like. And you should be able to feel the difference. Um, It's usually kinesthetic. People talk about knowing in your heart, knowing in your bones, knowing in your gut, whatever that might be. You know, but that's all referencing sort of kinesthetic and knowing, you know, in a, in a palpable way. So that's one thing. Um, you know, as you begin working with energy in a conscious way, which the guides teach you, you also become a bit of a tuning fork for what's going on around you. And so if I'm in a meeting on the phone and I say something, that wasn't received well, I can literally feel a wall go up that's preventing my energy. I feel the protection of the other person. We all probably have ways of experiences of things like that. But as you start getting used to reading energy or understanding energy, then you know you're 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 basically living in a second world where things can be known through 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 I'm not going to use the word through feeling because that sounds limited but imagine it's like braille and you put your hands up and you can get a whole other level of secondary dialogue about what's going on in every interaction because you're able to tune into the energy of it and now the guides are speaking about the energy of countries and the energy of civilizations and these collective agreements that we make that are screwing us all up you know, and which is why we have war and, you know, why we have separation and why we want to build walls and all that stuff, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know. And, you know, if we begin to understand that, hopefully we can come to some kind of peace. But, you know, they do say that we're tuning forks and we become tuning forks in some ways as we become sensitized to energy. Very interesting. How do forgiveness contribute to freedom? Well, it's pretty tough to be free when you're chained to somebody else. 
And what unforgiveness does is tie you to the very thing that you say you don't want. It's really that simple. I don't think, I mean, I think the misconception is that forgiving somebody is about being a nice person. And I don't know if it has anything to do with that. Frankly, I think forgiveness is, is a is, is a selfish act in some ways, in a health and in such a in a healthy way. There's an exercise that was done in the Book of Mastery, which was the last book out, where they invited the reader to go into a cave, and they say, "In this cave is the one person you never want to see again." And then your job is to lead this person out of the cave, out of the darkness, back into the light. And they say you need to lead them out of the light because you're the one that put them in darkness. And what you put in darkness calls you there to it. On a level of vibration or co-resonance, you know, what you damn damns you back. So whoever I put in darkness is essentially call me into the darkness with them. And this goes back to that very simple teaching. You can't be the light and hold another in darkness. It can't be so. So there's a very simple technique that the guides have been teaching about forgiveness, which I found enormously helpful when I can remember to do it. They say, you know, you have to forgive somebody else or other people or whoever you're upset with for not being who you wanted them to be. So if I'm angry at somebody because they lied to me, I'm I'm I have to forgive them for not being the person I wanted them to be, which is a person who was not capable of lying. Cle- clearly that's not who they are. That doesn't mean I have to trust them to tell me the truth, but it does mean I get to forgive them for not being who I wanted them to be, which actually the guides say lets them off the hook and then me off the hook as well. Then we can go about our business or go our separate ways. That's very interesting because it sort of truly releases your energy, basically. I mean, the other person had moved yeah. on, and the question is, do you want to move on? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's the old thing you hear. You know, it takes two people to make a prisoner, I guess, the prisoner and the mm-hmm. jailer. You know, mm-hmm. you're tied to each other, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we do this, I think, at great cost. I've done it at great cost. You know, it's um, it's why I think in the 12-step programs they put a real emphasis on it, you know, and I think it's why in Christianity there's this teaching of forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. It's pretty hard to ascend in consciousness when you've got sort of this sort of thing that you're attached to that's weighing you down. And all of these tethers or ties or cords or whatever you want to call them that we have with all of our stuff um, is challenging. I mean, the guides have said again and again and again that self-righteousness is always the small self. And every time I'm being self-righteous, that's my ego, my personality, wanting to be seen as right and having an investment in right versus wrong, you know, and it doesn't get me very far. So true. What would you like for the readers to gain from reading the Book of Truth? Well, I, you know, I don't really have a personal agenda for the reader. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I suspect that the guides may. Um, my hope for the reader is that they're confronted with themselves in a new possibility um, of who they may truly be outside of all of the names they've claimed for themselves or the ideas they have about themselves that really aren't in alignment to truth. The guides say in the Book of Truth, 
that in truth a lie cannot be held. And when you move to the truth of who you are, all of those names we call ourselves or those ideas of who we should have been and all that stuff, that stuff can't exist at that level. But we have to be willing to let go of our attachments to them. So if my whole worldview is the world is never going to give me what I want and that's what I believe and that's what I perpetuate, um, I can continue to do that or I can move to truth where that cannot be so and then begin to have a very different kind of relationship with the world. Um, we have free will. So the guides say, you know, again and again, you can learn through anything you choose. Um, but hopefully there are higher ways to learn and maybe even easier ones than we would choose out of fear, than we would choose out of fear. Very interesting. Where can someone go to get more information about you, buy your books, and engage mm -hmm. you in your programs? Well, the books are available in all bookstores, and you can get them online, certainly at Amazon, and I'm sure Barnes & Noble and IndieBound carry them. Um, there's links on my website. My website is paulselig.com, P-A-U-L-S-E-L-I-G, Dot com. Um, there's information there on workshops that I do all over the place. I do live stream seminars every Wednesday evening. Those are available, um, you know, by 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 the course um, or individually as individual classes. Or people can subscribe to the website and get them, you know, at a cost. That's just on an ongoing basis. You're just enrolled in perpetuity. Um, and uh, there's a lot of video up there, too, of me channeling the guides directly if people are curious about that and, and you know, video of readings and things like that as well. So there's a lot of content if people want to spend some time on the site. You'll get a good idea of, of what the guides are up to. Okay. Wonderful. One of the things that the book talked about as well in the messages that the guides were passing on is the fact that our true self doesn't necessarily step in when our small self makes decisions out of fear. Why is that? Yeah, yeah. Well, we have a right to choose, you know. I mean, I can choose whatever I want. I ask, it's one of the few things I get from the guides on a daily basis. I mean, I can say, you know, I can, if I can be standing on the middle of a highway, and I, a busy highway, and I can say, is this a good time to cross the street? The guides might say, not wise which means I'm probably going to get hit by a car. But <laughs> I can choose it if I want to. They're not going to stop me. You know, we have free will. So mm -hmm. as we begin to develop, I think we stop choosing in fear quite as much. And then we, we have another reality. And it's not that I'm still not going to learn through my choices. I've made some doozies, you know, that I've regretted. But to say that I have, to, you know, I would be lying if I say those weren't great teachers for me. I learned a great deal about what I wouldn't choose again. And most of what I chose that I've regretted was chosen in fear, truthfully. You know, oh, my God, I'll never get an opportunity like this, or, oh, my God, what happens if I don't do this? Things like that, you know, and then I chose in fear. It's like, you know, you're, you're, you're out shopping for a house, and the realtor says, if you don't put, put money down on this house today, it will be gone, and you react in fear because you're frightened of losing it, you end up with, you know, a lemon on your hands. I mean, you know, we've all done things like that. So true. By the way, we're coming close to the end of the hour. Since our show is about people, family, and living life, 
What would you like to share as a recipe for living with our listeners this morning? Well, I mean, what I'm hearing from the guides is stop being frightened of yourselves. You're far too wonderful to be frightened of yourselves. They're saying you're all far too wonderful to be frightened of yourselves. Live your life in love. Live your life in love and don't deny the love you have. And don't deny the love you have already. Already, thank you. And they're saying thank you. So that came from them, which surprised me because I wasn't expecting to hear anything. And um, I guess that's the message. Fantastic. That's a wonderful recipe for living. What is next for you? I know you're working on the third book of the series. So what's next for you? Um, uh, Tomorrow I go to Boone, North Carolina for a five-day retreat. Um, I'm then going to, I don't know where I'm going. I'm traveling all over the place. So there's workshops happening um, in California at the Esalen Institute in Minneapolis, um, and all of that information is on the website. So basically, I'm working on the book, and it seems that they're dictating the book, or most of the book so far, in front of students. So we're all in for a big adventure with that. That's wonderful. So true. So, Paul, any last parting words for the Book of Truth? No, I hope people are curious enough to check it out. Um, or to check out the work that I do online. And perhaps if you're interested, join us sometime for a live stream or or a workshop. I am going to be doing um, two weeks from this Wednesday, a week from this coming Wednesday, um, a Q&A with the guides, uh, which is a 90-minute online thing where I'm going to be taking questions, psychic questions, questions on the work, questions for the guides. And that's something that's available if people would like to enroll. Fantastic. And that information is on your website, correct? That's on my website, yes. Fantastic. Paul, thank you for the wonderful recipe for living and for spending this hour with me on From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all our listeners, please join me next Tuesday morning, August 15. My guest will be Shirley Mellis. She's a longtime business writer, travel writer, and newspaper columnist who had traveled the world interviewing everyone from bus boys to head of international organizations before launching a career in public relations in Washington, D.C. Shirley and I will be discussing her recently released memoir, Bang Up Hot, Dancing with Love and Loss. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to FromMyMama'sKitchenTalkRadio.com. Thank you for listening and have a blessed week. Paul, it has been a true pleasure, sir. Thank you again and have a blessed day. And you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Mom Zone. Breaking news, the Fremont family declares where they're going for back to school. The Fremonts are going with Academy. Uh, Mrs. Fremont, why Academy over another store? When my kids say they'll never use math in the real world, I just show them how low my Academy receipt is. You have any other thoughts? Look, back to school is a numbers game, and numbers don't lie. Nobody starts your season with better brands and lower prices than Academy. Academy Sports and Outdoors. For all, for less. Price match guarantee details at academy.com. It's Mom Zone. 
breaking news, the Fremont family declares where they're going for back to school. The Fremonts are going with Academy. Uh, Mrs. Fremont, why Academy over another store? When my kids say they'll never use math in the real world, I just show them how low my Academy receipt is. You have any other thoughts? Look, back to school is a numbers game, and numbers don't lie. Nobody starts your season with better brands and lower prices than Academy. Academy Sports and Outdoors. For all, for less. Price match guarantee details at academy.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.